Well, good morning. Some good worship this morning. Thank you, Pete. Thank you, Carrie. Thank you, the Brian, who we were missing earlier, for joining us and leading us. All right, well, let's get started today. <clears throat> How many of you have been with us the past couple of weeks at this point? Yes, we've been on a bit of a journey together, and we were really blessed two weeks ago to have uh, Mahesh and Bonnie Chavda minister to us, and uh, they, they preached a word to us that uh, hearkened back to a statement that we all got to stand up and rise together and say, give me my mountain, and recognize that the Lord has a calling for us in this time, in this hour, uh, as a church, uh, to, to be building up in, uh, in what he has for us in this day. And, and specifically here for us at our Father's house in Southern Maryland. He's called us to this region. He's very, very specific about why he's called us to this region. We've been exploring that together. Um, but last week, we had the opportunity to really dig into what was the mountain that Joshua, and really that Caleb, was saying, give me that mountain. And if you remember, it was Mount Hebron. And we went back and we did just a, a lot of fun time digging back into the history of Hebron and why Hebron is significant in the history of Israel and all of what God was doing in them reclaiming that ground from the giants. Remember? We talked about the giant killers and how they went after the sons of Anak there and drove them out. And, um, you know, they're only left in a few places within Israel. Interestingly, I was talking to my dad about this. He said, you notice the places that they were left in Israel are still contended places in Israel. It's interesting, right? I mean, it's more than interesting, but it's, it's something we should take note of. You know, we're spiritual people. It's, it's not just the top surface here. We need to understand there's, there's real principalities, there's real powers, there's real spiritual forces out there. And they last in the earth longer than you and I do in our, our present experience here in flesh and blood. But we are also eternal beings. And it's important for us to, to recognize that there's a, a dimension that we are engaging in that is greater than what we see. Okay? So we went through that last week. We spoke about, um, about Caleb taking the high ground. Caleb's name literally meaning whole heart. That he wholeheartedly followed after the Lord and the Lord gave him that ground. We, we even spoke about how he is a Gentile brought into, into Israel. Which is an incredible aspect of history. his history. He's, he is a Kenizzite. And so he'd been adopted into the nation of Israel. And he was adopted into the tribe of Judah. And that man had a heart that was wholeheartedly after the Lord. And he was given the opportunity to go take that high ground when he was 85 years old, after he had waited 45 years beyond the time he was promised by God that land. And so when he declared, give me my mountain, he was already owning it wholeheartedly that God was going to give that to him. And he did. He drove the, drove the giants out of that. And Hebron, the city of Hebron, actually becomes a city of refuge. That's a, a Levitical city. He, he had the territory of the surrounding region, but God declared Hebron as a, a city of refuge. Now, we go out beyond that time, and we see that when David, this is where we left off last week, we see that when David came to power, when God established him as king over all Israel, we see that God first established his throne in Hebron. And it wasn't David's great idea to go to Hebron to establish his throne and his kingdom. He said, God, where do you want me to go? Should I go to Judah? 
Yes. Okay, where do you want me to go? Go to Hebron. It was God's, God's design that he would start in Hebron. In Hebron, that name there um, has a couple different meanings, but the one I, I like the most that I think kind of encompasses things the best, the concept the best, is Hebron means the binding friendship place. And we know, as we went through the history last week, that it was a place in the history of Israel that goes all the way back to Abraham and his covenant with God. That binding friendship place. And so is it an interesting that the king who God was establishing that was going to make covenant with about his line, who the Messiah was going to come through, was started in his rule in that binding friendship place. That's, a, that's an important thing for us to recognize. Before he went to Jerusalem, before he established the throne there, as he came and united Israel all under one headship, he did it in the binding friendship place. So, I hope you brought your Bibles with you today. Get them out. If you don't have a physical Bible, open up your cell phone. Pull, pull open your Bible app. Show of hands, who, who all brought their Bibles with them today? Awesome. Other show of hands, who did their homework this week? Oh, I see a hand. What was the homework assignment? The homework assignment was read through First Chronicles, the chapters that came after what we were talking about, and in Second Samuel, for us to be reading this, this portion as well. For those of you that did your homework, I'm sure there's probably some folks online that did their homework too, but for those of you who did your homework, I, I trust that as we go through this today, there will be things that you hear that the Lord has likely revealed to you as you are going through these parallel portions of Scripture. So we find the, 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 the story that we're going through, and uh, in, in this, this part of history, we find it in two places in Scripture. We find it in First Chronicles uh, chapters 13 and following, and then we also find it in Second Samuel chapter 5 and following. And so we're going to primarily be in those two places today. And the reason we're going to kind of bounce back and forth between them is because they kind of line up like this. That makes sense? You're going to find some information here that's common in them. You'll find some phraseology that's very similar. You'll find a few things that are a little bit different. I can't point all those out to you today because we'd be here till 3 o'clock. We're not going to do that. But I... It's important to see that there's, there's aspects of that history that are filled in on different, in the different portions of Scripture. So I'd really encourage you, if you didn't do your homework, and even after we talk today, I'd encourage you this week, go back, read these, because there's some real rich context in here for us to be devouring as we, we come before the Lord and see what he has to say. So we're going to start this morning in, in 2 Samuel chapter 5. I also encourage you to take notes. Take notes in your margin, take notes in a notebook. We want to be those that are consuming the word, and we also want to be those who are being consumed by the word. Does that make sense? Our lives should be overtaken by what God is saying in his, in his scripture. Okay. I'm going to open in prayer. Father, I thank you for everything that you've already been revealing to us. Lord, I thank you for your presence here among us today. I thank you, Lord, for your word, and I thank you that you've given us a hunger for your word, Lord, and that you are opening it to us. So, Holy Spirit, we just thank you and we welcome you here today. We welcome everything that you have for us here today. Lord, open our, our minds and our understandings, but also speak your word to our spirit, Lord. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so I'm going to do a quick recap of the, the scripture passage that we, we landed on and ended with last week, just kind of as the tie-off point, and then we'll move on from there. So it says this in Second Samuel in chapter 5. All the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, We are your own flesh and blood. In the past, while Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel on their military campaigns. And the Lord said to you, You will shepherd my people Israel, and you will become their ruler. When all the elders of Israel had come to King David at Hebron, the king made a compact with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed King David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned 40 years. In Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months. And in Jerusalem, he reigned over all Israel and Judah 33 years. So the end of his reign in Judah came there at Hebron, where he'd been there for seven and a half years. And this is that moment. I think it's, again, it's interesting that in that binding place of friendship is when where all Israel is brought back together again under one king. And they are identifying, hey, you, you are our king. You are our flesh and blood. You're the one that God has chosen. You're the one who led the military campaigns. You are the one that we are following, and we are ready to make you king now. That's, that's a big deal. Now, if you go in the chapters preceding this, and we're not going to, you'll recognize that there was major contention over the whole nation of Israel after Saul died with his son Ishbosheth and what Abner had done in establishing him as king over the rest of Israel. Um, there was a bloody time in Israel during that, that, that time, and this is really where the end of that comes. And, and you see in, in those chapters how, how covenant was brokered, really, between Abner and and um, and David and the people of Israel as they're being drawn back in together. So that's kind of our launch-off point here. David is now king over all Israel. And here in 2 Samuel, it goes straight into him conquering Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem was, at the time, held by the Jebusites. And it was called Jebus. And it was a place that, if you think about it, um, we take a step back and consider this. God has a plan and a design that he has put in place for generations that's leading up to this point. But in the earth, what we see is the location of Jerusalem is really on the borderland of, of Judah and, and Benjamin. So it's in that, that space of contention. And so strategically, when you're bringing a nation back together that has been fractured like this, it makes perfect sense that you would put the capital of that new kingdom close to that border if you're trying to find union between the people. Now, I'm not saying that's the logical argument there, but it is a logical reflection and understanding we can have of what was taking place in that situation. So, taking Jerusalem was important. So let's read this. The king and his men marched to Jerusalem to attack the Jebusites who lived there. The Jebusites said to David, You will not get in here. Even the blind and lame can ward you off. That's quite a statement. Now, the fortress there was very challenging in trying to overcome because of the, the way the land is, is located there. You have steep cliffs, you have valleys all around you, you have, you have some mountains there, but it is a hard place to overtake. They thought, David cannot get in here. Nevertheless, David captured the fortress of Zion, the city of David. On that day, David said, Anyone who conquers the Jebusites 
will have to use the water shaft to reach those lame and blind who are David's enemies. That is why they say, the blind and lame will not enter the palace. David then took up residence in the fortress and called it the city of David. He built up the area around it from the supporting terraces inward. And he became more and more powerful because the Lord God Almighty was with him. And it goes on from there to talk about how Hiram, the king of Tyre, sent, um, sent materials and craftsmen to come and build a palace for him. And it goes on to say, And David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel and had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. And so this is when he had left Hebron, and he's now in Jerusalem. Now, depending on which passage you're reading, whether it's this one or in, in uh, 1 Chronicles, it's, it's difficult to figure out the chronology of some of these events. But one thing that takes place in this time frame is now that David has become king over all Israel. The Philistines aren't happy about that, and they actually go and they contest with him. And he routes them in two situations here, and both of which he's led by the Lord. I'm not going to read through all of that. I encourage you to go into it. But what, what's interesting is he immediately faces the Philistines. It's important for us because today we're focusing on the story that comes right beyond that, and that is the bringing back of the return of the Ark of the Covenant back to the place of prominence within Israel. So, we see the Philistines come up against him. You'll find out he routes them. They bring their their idols with them. And what ends up happening is the idols are carried away and they're burned. David says, burn those idols. And he has, uh, it says here at the very end of that passage, so uh, this is in chapter uh, 5, verse 25. So David did as the Lord commanded him, and he struck down the Philistines all the way from Gibeon to Gezer. So he had incredible control over this land now. Immediately, the next thing that's said here is in in chapter 6. Now I'm going to read this whole portion of chapter 6 because it is the more concise version of this story. The first and the second attempt to bring the Ark of the Covenant there. So we're going to start with this because I think it gives us a good concise context for this. By the way, if this is your first time with us here, we really like to read the Word of God here. What does it say? We can, we can pick and cherry-pick different verses here, but I think it's important for us to hear these things, get the full context, hear and see what has been said, underline things, highlight it, come back later. We want to be reading through it together. It says this, David again brought together out of Israel chosen men, 30,000 in all. He and all his men set out from Balah of Judah to bring up from there the Ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim that are on the ark. Now, if you're unfamiliar with the Ark of the Covenant, this, is, uh, this was constructed by the directions that God gave to Moses as they were wandering in, in Egypt. And that place where, uh, on, on top of the Ark of the Covenant, where the, the two cherubim, which look like angels, right, and their wings are coming together, that is called the mercy seat. And that is where the presence of God would show up and he would commune with them. It's an incredibly important 
don't know what you would call it, artifact, um, structure, what God built as the place where he would physically be present with his people was there at the Ark of the Covenant. And it wasn't a, a gigantic article, but it had the mercy seat there, and it was incredibly, incredibly important. And what God, the rules and the structures that God put around, how they were to engage with the Ark of the Covenant was very important. And we're going to talk about that here today because that's really what's at the heart of this message is how the people would interact with the presence of God and that which was supposed to carry and manifest the presence of God. I mean, it's pretty important that God says he's enthroned between the cherubim that are on the ark. Okay. They set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it. And Ahio was walking in front of it. David and the whole house of Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord, with songs and with harps, lyres, tambourines, sistrums, and cymbals. So imagine this, and we'll get into some of this history. They're finally bringing the Ark of the Covenant back. They're doing everything they think they're supposed to be doing in this, including with all of their might and strength, worshiping and praising God. They're doing this wholeheartedly. They are celebrating the return of the ark back to a place of prominence. David, who is one who has inhabited that place, that is that, that friendship, uh, the binding friendship place of God. He's lived in friendship with God. He's chosen because he's a man who has a heart like God's own heart. He's a shepherd who God has now chosen to shepherd his people. He's in that place, and he's, he says one of the first things, we need to bring the ark back to a place of prominence here. We need to be in right relationship with God. We need to be engaging with him again. We need to demonstrate physically that this is important to us as a people because we are all under his care. We are his people. And they don't get it right. They don't get it right. When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. And you're probably thinking, what did he do? He was about to fall over. Therefore God struck him down and he died there beside the ark of God. That's big stuff. Then David was angry because of the Lord's wrath. Had broken out against Uzzah. And to this day, that place is called Perez Uzzah, which means outbreak against Uzzah. David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, How can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? He was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months, and the Lord blessed him in his entire household. Now, when it says there, that he was afraid of the Lord. This isn't like we were talking a couple weeks ago about the fear of the Lord. Do you remember that? That reverent honor and that this is this is what we're saying the fear of the Lord isn't. I'm scared of God and I'm going to run and hide. 
This is where he is at. He is scared of God. He's going to run and hide and says, I can't even do this. I, what just happened? I'm doing everything I know to do here to do this right. And, and Uzzah just died because he touched this? Hold the phone. Let's take it to Obed-Edom's house. We'll get into more of that later here. Okay, now, now King David was, was told, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went down and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. David, wearing a linen ephod, danced before the Lord with all his might, while he and the entire house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michal, daughter of Saul, watched from a, from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in place inside the tent of David and pitched had pitched for it, and David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. And he had finished, as he had finished uh, sacrificing the burnt offerings, the fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. Then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each person in the whole crowd of Israel, both men and women, and all the people went to their homes. When David returned home to bless his household, Michal, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, disrobing in the sight of slave girls of his servants, as any vulgar fellow would do. David said to Michal, It was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you speak, you spoke of, I will be held in honor. And Michal, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. Now, what we see in this, in this passage here, <clears throat> David's terrified. He steps back. The ark stays with Obed-Edom for three months. And during that time, Obed-Edom's household is so blessed that word comes to David that says, listen, his massive blessing that's coming forward from this. Now, we know in this time that David's preparing still. We see his initial response, and he's still, he's still preparing. And you see that there's a learning curve here because he doesn't bring it in on an ox, on an ox cart to Jerusalem when he goes back out to receive it. He does it the right way. Second Samuel passage abbreviates the description of that. We'll get into the, to the longer version of that here later today. But let's, before we do that, go back and look at the conditions of, of how the ark came to be where it was before they went to go pick it up and bring it back to Jerusalem. Because that's important. It's actually pretty vital to this story. All right, so we're going to go into 1 Samuel. And we're going to start in 1 Samuel 3. Actually, we're going to start in 1 Samuel 4. Let's do that. 1 Samuel 3 is where the Lord calls Samuel. And we're not going to read this portion here, but it does provide us with some context. We know that Eli, who is the, uh, is the one who's, who's leading and, and raising Samuel here, um, his sons have been doing wicked things, and he doesn't address it. 
And the Lord's first word to Samuel is, is a, a word of rebuke over the household of Eli. And, and that's, the, that's the first word he has to deliver, right? And he delivers it to the one who's, who's training him. And what that tells us is the spiritual um, environment and atmosphere of Israel at that time. And so when you go into, into 1 Samuel 4, you see about how that ark was captured in that environment. <clears throat> okay, so starting in verse 1. Now the Israelites went out to fight against the Philistines. The Israelites encamped at Ebenezer and the Philistines at Aphek. The Philistines deployed their forces to meet Israel, and as the battle spread, Israel was defeated by the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 of them on the battlefield. Now that's going to get your attention. But who is it right now that they're fighting? Who's Israel fighting? The Philistines. Who did David fight when he overtook all of Israel? The Philistines. This is important. Who is he taking the ark back from? Sort of. But the Philistines are important in this, in this engagement. This is how the, the ark was lost. So the Philistines had killed about 4,000 of them. Okay. When the soldiers returned to the camp, the elders of Israel asked, Why did the Lord bring defeat upon us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the ark of the Lord's covenant from Shiloh, so that it may go with us and save us from the hand of our enemies. This makes perfect sense. This has been part of Israel's pattern for a long time now. The Ark of the Covenant would precede them in battle. They would go before the Lord and ask, what is it that you want us to do? How do you want us to do this? And his presence would go with them, and he would go before them, and he would bring them victory in battle. So it makes perfect logical sense for them to say, let's go get the ark and bring that with us because that's going to help us get victory here over the Philistines. But the point isn't the ark. The point is whose presence the ark enthrones. So Israel says, we're going to bring the ark with us and that's going to bring us victory. That's not what happens. So the people sent men to Shiloh, and they brought back the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord Almighty, who was enthroned between the cherubim. And Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. Now these are the two that have been doing wicked things. When the Ark of the Lord's Covenant came into the camp, all Israel raised such a great shout that the ground shook. If you're reading this for the first time, you might be thinking, there's a great victory that's coming for Israel. And that's not what's going to happen here. Hearing the uproar, the Philistines asked, What's all this shouting in the Hebrew camp? When they learned that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp, the Philistines were afraid. A god has come into the camp, they said. We're in trouble. Nothing like this has happened before. Woe to us. Who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? They are the gods who struck the Egyptians with all kinds of plagues in the the desert. Be strong, Philistines. Be men or you will be subject to the Hebrews as they have been to you. Be men and fight. This is very similar to the be strong and be of good courage that you hear God saying. The the terminology there, be of good courage, is actually play the man. This is very similar language here. So the Philistines fought, and the Israelites were defeated, and every man fled to his tent. The slaughter was very great. 
Israel lost 30,000 foot soldiers. The Ark of God was captured, and Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, died. That's a resounding loss, a resounding defeat. 30,000 men died that day. Incidentally, how many men did David bring with him to go retrieve the ark? 30,000 men. He chose 30,000 men to go with him to bring the ark back to Jerusalem on the first attempt. I just think it's interesting that 30,000 men lost the ark in the first place. They're probably connected. All right. Word comes back to Eli about the death of his sons and the ark uh, being stolen by, by the Philistines. He falls back in his chair, hits his head, he's dead. One of his daughter-in-laws, uh, the wife of Phineas, is pregnant near the time of delivery. She hears this terrible news. Her husband died, her brother-in-law just died, her father-in-law just died, the ark is gone. So much turmoil. She's actually brought into labor, and she delivers Ichabod. And what, that, what she says there, uh, she named the boy Ichabod, saying, The glory has departed from Israel because the capture of the ark of God and the deaths of her father-in-law and her husband. She said, The glory has departed from Israel for the ark of God has been captured. So the loss of the ark of God is tremendous to the people of Israel. This is the place that's to host his presence. And they've just buggered it in a big way. Now, part of what took place there was they were, the ark had become an idol to them. Let's take this into battle. Remember the Philistines, when they come to to go to war with David, they bring their idols into battle with them as well. And when David defeats them, he burns those idols. But here's, this is like an idol to the Israelites at this point in time. Let's bring this into battle with us. Not, should we go to the Lord and ask him what we're supposed to do here? Their focus had been drawn away from who he was, and they were drawn towards the trappings of of who he is and what he had set up the, the the means of grace that he had presented for them and provided for them, but not on him. Their hearts were far from him. Now, when you see what takes place to the Philistines in Ashdod Ashdod and Ekron, as they they have this this ark now, and they bring it into their, their temple of Dagon, and what happens? We see his idol fall face down, right? His hands and his head fall off as he's face down before the Ark of the Covenant. This is, this is getting their attention. And then people start, start dying. They're starting to have plagues among them, and they're saying, something's wrong here. So they send it off to Ekron. <laughs> and then when it comes to Ekron, they start having problems too. And so it becomes the hot potato in... Uh, for the Philistines. So much so where they say, we can't do this anymore. It needs to be sent back. Okay, so we're going to pick this up in 1 Samuel 
chapter 6, verse 1 now. So the Philistines want this to go back. They don't want it anymore. They, they're thinking this is everything that's happening has to be the Ark of the Covenant because it just keeps going with it. But we've got to be doing something different here. When the Ark of the Lord had been in the Philistine territory seven months, the Philistines called for the priests and diviners and said, what shall we do with the Ark of the Lord? Tell us how we should send it back to, to its place. They answered, if you return the Ark of God to Israel, do not send it away empty. But by all means, send a guilt offering to him. Then you will be healed, and you will know why his hand has not been lifted from you. The Philistines asked, What guilt offering should we send to him? They replied, Five gold tumors and five gold rats, according to the number of the Philistine rulers, because of the, because of the same plague has struck, you, struck both you and your rulers. So they're making the model of the tumors, make the model of tumors and of rats that are destroying the country and pay honor to the Israel's God. Perhaps he will lift his hand from you and your gods in your land. Why do you harden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaoh did? When he treated them harshly, they did not send the Israelites out so they could go on their way. So basically they're saying, get this out of here. Make, uh, make an offering that resembles what has come against you. And hopefully you're going to appease their God with this and, and send it out of here. Now, listen to how they're going to send it out. This is from their diviners. This is from their spiritual men and leaders inside this nation that are telling their rulers how they're supposed to deal with this, this, this thing. What do we do with this ark? We don't know what to do, but something bad has happened. Here's their solution. Now then, get a new cart ready. We just read this like 15 minutes ago. A new cart with two cows who have calved and have never been yoked. Hitch the cows to the cart, but take their calves away and pen them up. Take the cart of the Lord and put it, the ark of the Lord, and put it on the cart, and in a chest beside it, put the gold objects you are sending back to him as a guilt offering. Send it on its way, but keep watching it. Keep watching it. If it goes up to its own territory toward Beth Shemesh, then the Lord has brought this great disaster on us. But if it does not, then we will know that it was not his hand that struck us and that it happened, by, happened to us by chance. So they did this. They took two such cows and hitched them to the cart and penned up their calves. I'll pause right there. Why are they doing two, two cows that have never been led before? What they're doing is they don't, these are not trained in pulling a cart. They haven't been trained to follow a road or anything like that before. So this is like... You're using a control experiment, right? There's nothing that would tell them that they should go do that. They don't, they've never even pulled a cart. So whatever they do is going to be led by a spiritual force. Okay? So they hook them up. They place the Ark of the Lord on the cart, and along with it, the chest containing the gold rats and the models of the tumors. And the cows went straight up toward Beth Shemesh, keeping on the road and lowing all the way. They did not turn to the right or to the left. The rulers of the Philistines followed them as far as the border of Beth Shemesh. Beth Shemesh is, is the border town as they're coming into Israel now, out of their own land. This is them crossing the border into Israel now, into their own territory. It's the, fine, we're done with the ark. You guys have it from here. Great. Okay? Now the people of Beth Shemesh were harvesting their wheat in the valley, and when they looked up and saw the ark, they rejoiced at the sight. The cart came to the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh, and there it stopped beside a large rock. 
The people chopped up the wood of the cart and sacrificed the cows as a burnt offering to the Lord. The Levites took down the ark of the Lord together with the chest containing the gold objects and placed them on a big, on a large rock. On that day, the people of Beth Shemesh offered burnt offerings and made sacrifices to the Lord. The five rulers of the Philistines saw all this, and they returned that same day. to These are the gold tumors the Philistines sent as guilt offerings to the Lord, each one from Ashdod, Gaza, Ashkelon, Gath, and Ekron. And the number of the gold rats was according to the number of the Philistine towns belonging to the five rulers, the fortified towns with their, their country villages. The large rock on which they set the ark of the Lord is a witness to this day in the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh. But something else happens here. But God struck down some of the men of Beth Shemesh, putting 70 of them to death because they had looked into the ark of the Lord. The people mourned because of the heavy blow the Lord had dealt them. And the men of Beth Shemesh asked, Who can stand in the presence of the Lord, this holy God? To whom will the ark go up from here? Is this like sounding familiar? It's like David saying, how is this ever to come to me? This is a holy God. Then they sent messengers to the people of Kiriath-Jerim, saying, The Philistines have have returned the ark of the Lord. Come down and take it up to your place. So the men of Kiriath-Jerim came and took up the ark of the Lord. They took it to Abinadab's house on the hill and consecrated Eleazar, his son, to guard the ark of the Lord. So that's where it stayed until David came to retrieve it. Now, I think there's some interesting things for us to to see here. 30,000 men were lost in the taking of the ark. The presence of God amongst the Philistines was attacking them physically and spiritually in dramatic ways. They knew they weren't supposed to take this and they weren't supposed to keep it. But remember, the heart of the Israelites was not towards the Lord in this time. And so when they, re- when they receive this, they receive it back with what they're supposed to be doing, when they're, they're celebrating, they're sacrificing to the Lord, they're doing that. They even have Levites take it off the cart. That was the right thing to do. But then somebody says, let's look inside the box. And 70 of them were killed that day. Because again, like Uzzah, they treated this thing irreverently. They treated the presence of God irreverently. They didn't recognize that this isn't just an object. This is the place to host the presence of God. There's a familiarity that was taking place in both of these situations where, where Uzzah uh, of Abinadab here, this has been in his house now for over 20 years. He's familiar with the Ark of the Covenant. And so when, it's, when the oxen are stumbling, he goes to put his hand on it to, to write it. We should never treat the presence of God as a common thing. We should never try to manipulate the presence of God. And in both of these situations, these men became too familiar with the covenant, the Ark of the Covenant. And God says, I am holy. If you look back into 
uh, into Numbers, I think it's in chapter 4 of Numbers, you find that those Levites that were called to carry the ark, there's poles that they're supposed to carry that on that go through rings in the ark because they're not supposed to even touch the outer surface of the ark. It's so holy. Those who have been chosen to carry the ark, those who have been trained, those who are in, they were born into it. It didn't matter if you wanted to do it or not. You had to be born into this line. Those that were born into it couldn't touch it. They couldn't handle it. They had to lift it on the poles together, collectively. So opening this thing was not what you're supposed to do. If you've seen uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, you probably remember that scenery. So here it is. They sent these two cows to carry this on this ox cart, a new cart. And so then when David goes to do this again, he follows the same pattern. It's the same language is used. Get a new cart. Get some oxen. And let's bring this into Jerusalem. That was a big problem. We're going to go now into First, uh, First Chronicles in chapter 13. I want you to hear David's heart here in 13, because it's not shared in in 2 Samuel. So David conferred with each of his officers, the commander of thousands and commanders of hundreds. He then said to the whole assembly of Israel, if it seems good to you, and if it is the will of the Lord our God, let us send word far and wide to the rest of our brothers throughout the territories of Israel, and also to the priests and Levites who are with them in their towns and pasture lands to come and join us. Let us bring the ark of our God back to us, for we did not inquire of it, during the reign of Saul. The whole assembly agreed to this because it seemed right to all the people. So they have unity of purpose. They have unity of mind. There's a unity of heart here where they're saying, yes, when we were under Saul, we did not inquire of the Lord. It's, this has been, the ark has, been, has stayed far away from us. We need to bring this back and return it to a place of prominence. And it was right. That's true. That's what they should have been doing. But the means by which they went about that didn't work. Now it remained with Obed-Edom, and Obed-Edom was blessed. I don't have time to get into all the things about Obed-Edom, but you'll see after the ark is returned, Obed-Edom's name keeps showing up for a while through the rest of, of First Chronicles here. And in chapter 26, it talks about the heritage that comes from him by how many sons he ends up having. He is very blessed And they become a family that's ministering before the Lord. Okay. We're going to skip here to to chapter 15. Now, this is when David brings it back. This is a little bit more extensive here. I'm not going to read everything, but there's some key elements I want you to hear. After David had constructed buildings for himself in the city of David, he prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched a tent for it. Then David said, No one but the Levites may carry the ark of God, Because the Lord chose them to carry the ark of the Lord and to minister before him forever. Now, what we see with David here is that in those three months the ark has been with Obed-Edom, he's been studying. He's been studying, 
and he's been going before the Lord. Because remember, his heart is inclined towards the Lord. If you have that in question, just read the Psalms. He's a man whose heart is close to God. And you can be sure when he was terrified of what took place and said, hold on, we need to pause this, keep it here. He's inquiring of the Lord, what is it that you want me to do? How am I supposed to do this right? Because I've made a, I've majorly made a mistake. Is this a very sobering moment for David and his leadership? So then it talks here about the Levites that are included in all of this. Pick it up here in verse 11. Then David summoned Zadok and Abiathar, the priests, and Uriel and Asiah, Joel, Shemaiah, Eliel, and Aminadab, the Levites. He said to them, You are the heads of the Levitical families. You and your fellow Levites are to consecrate yourselves and bring up the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel, to the place I have prepared for it. It was because you, the Levites, did not bring it up the first time that the Lord our God broke out in anger against us. We did not inquire of him about how to do it in the prescribed way. So here he is taking leadership now. He's saying it's not enough for us to want this here. It's not even enough for us to have our hearts in the right place here in asking God to come. He's told us the way that we're supposed to do this, and we have to surrender our own will and our own designs to what he is doing so that we can receive him back into this place. You have been born into this, and I can't do it. I need your help. You've been born into this. And because we didn't pay attention last time, his anger broke out against us. So the priests and Levites consecrated themselves in order to bring up the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel. And the Levites carried the ark of God with the poles on their shoulders as Moses had commanded in accordance with the word of the Lord. And what you see coming beyond that is all the rejoicing that takes place, all of the structure that he puts into place to ensure that the nation of Israel is rightly aligned with how they're to minister to the Lord and how they're supposed to house and host his presence. It's an important lesson for all of us, I believe. Because what it ties back to now is all the way back into Moses and what God had, had instructed him to do. And in the context of what we've been sharing with the covenant of Abraham going all the way back there in Hebron with God of what he was going to do and what he was about to do, David rightly aligning his heart of friendship with the Lord with his complete surrender and acknowledgement of the holiness of God. The holiness of God the holiness of his presence, his person. God wants that intimacy with us, but he doesn't want us to see him as familiar or common. He is holy. And to host his presence is a holy act. It's one that is very important. It's one that we must go to soberly with eyes wide open of what we are 
committing ourselves to the consecration of those that were, were called to minister and to, to continue the hosting of his presence. There's a, there's a difference between somebody who lights fires and somebody who tends a fire. To tend a fire, you have to understand the dynamics of the fire. You have to keep your eye on the fire. You have to be watching, is it dying down? Do we need to stoke that fire? Do we need to clean things up a bit? Do we need to add more fuel to it? There's, there's a maintenance of that thing that must take place over time, and there's, there's a certain level of, of deep commitment to that that is required. And this is what David is establishing here. What does this tell us today? I think it's interesting that David's first method by which he was bringing the ark back was the same way that the Philistines were ridding themselves of the ark. I mean, that's obvious to us, right? But in the loss of the ark and the retrieval and putting the ark back in its place of prominence, reestablishing and reaffirming that place within the nation of Israel, it's like they had to go down to the deepest depths and bring themselves back out the opposite direction. You see that? These patterns down and these patterns back are almost like when, when Peter's there with the Lord having had denied, denied him three times and Jesus asks him three times if he loves him. Right, He's bringing him back to that place of restoration out of the depths of the failure. And we see David walking back out of that again, having to readjust his understanding, recommit himself to the Lord, recome back to him and say, what, what is it that I'm missing here? And then elevating the ark back to the place of prominence that God had for him. And what you see in the, in the chapters just after that, and I'm not going to go into it today because we don't have time, when you read that, what you see is God's covenant with David and his family line and the kingdom that is being established there. There's a new covenant that is struck through the, through the pain of this process. We cannot... We cannot be loose in how we host the presence of the Lord. Does that make sense? This isn't a loose thing. When we come in here on Sunday mornings or when you're gathering with other believers and whenever it is that, that you are in a place where you're together with others and you're hosting the presence of the Lord, that is a holy thing. As a people, corporately, who've been called to host the presence of the Lord, we must be mindful of recognizing that it's not just about coming together and singing songs and reading scripture and and saying kind things to one another. Those are all good. But it's not him. Does that make sense? It's about him. It's about the holiness of the God who loves us and whom we love. It is about our intimacy with him, but it's also about our recognition of just how holy he is and how much of an honor it is for us as a people to host his presence. 
his presence was never meant to be carried on an ox cart. It was never meant to be carried on an ox cart. His presence was always intended to be carried on his people, by his people. It had to be on their shoulders, but it couldn't be one person. There's corporiety in the carrying and the hosting of his presence. They had to be together in one accord. You couldn't have one person walking faster than the rest of them. When David goes to bring the ark back, he was not to do it the way that the pagans had done it. They had devised a way to carry the ark because they, weren't, they were not equipped to do it. They didn't have the history for it, nor were any of them born into the place that was actually required for them to carry the ark. Does that make sense? So when David comes and retrieves it back the same way, he's aligning himself with pagan ideology. Do you see that? His, his heart's in the right place, but how he's going about something is completely wrong. Those that devised the way to come up with it were actually those who were diviners in this pagan culture. Are you following me? If we want to host the presence of God, it has to be done by the corporate body of Christ. There has to be unity there. There has to be complete surrender and submission to how God wants his presence to be hosted among his people. There's a consecration that takes place by his people to host his presence well. You can have every good intention to host the presence of God, but if you try to go about doing it on the backs of what mankind has devised, listen, an ox cart is something that we actually construct, right? As a vehicle to carry the presence of God? No. God constructed his vehicle for carrying his presence. It's us. It's us. We can't carry his presence on the ideas of the world. It doesn't work. You end up trying to manipulate the thing, and that doesn't work well for anybody. We as his people are to be surrendered to him. We're to come low. We're to recognize, God, you're in control. You are holy. I need to be consecrated before you to host your presence. I can't have a double mind here. I need to be fully committed to what you're doing, God. I need to be connected with your body because you want to host your presence among us. Complete surrender and submission to him. I think this is a word, not just for our church, but a word for the the church in this season. God's called us through, brought us through some really trying stuff, and we're still facing trying things. And in this season, there are those that would, would like us to align ourselves to the purposes of the world to carry the presence of God. Does that make sense? Adopt these ideologies 
and good things are going to happen. It's garbage. It's always been garbage. It only happens when we do things God's way. And I don't think we even know a lot of times what that's supposed to look like. I think we're in a time right now where there's a learning curve, where we're coming into the coming to the Lord with the best we know how. And he's going to keep showing us how to do it more and more like how he wants us to do it. Because there's a recapturing of our identity. There's a recapturing of our purpose. There's a stepping into things that are ancient, that are his ways, that are of him. We're being led by the Spirit of God to learn these things, to host his presence well. Because it's in his presence that healing actually takes place. It's in his presence where walls comes down. It's in his presence where freedom comes to people. He is going to teach us, but we have to be clear that we're doing things God's way. Do we have any words this morning? Jennifer's going to come forward and and share some things that have been stirring in the spirit amongst our prophetic people today. Is it turned on? Is that? Oh, that's better. Well, this is really encouraging. This word came in this morning, and it said, During worship, I saw a person walking through what appeared to be a sticky mud, a taffy-like consistency. Each step grew more difficult, and the sandals grew heavier and more uh, with more mud. It was almost like the knees were going to become detached from the legs as they attempted to walk forward. Uh, they had a hard time standing up right, and um, they were on all fours at one point, the head hanging um, low, and their strength was gone. But the Lord reached down to this person and lifted them out of this mess, giving them hope and his supernatural power to overcome what they had no strength to conquer on their own. I just um, felt like that, that is a very strong word for more than just one person, I think, in, in the congregation this morning. Um, Another word that came to to me this morning was uh, during this COVID season where people had been displaced into um, other areas. Maybe they left the church. Maybe they um, had new ideas that they learned during this season. Um, They kind of separated themselves from the body at large, but they are still connected because we're all connected, whether they're here in this body right now or they're somewhere else serving. I would just encourage people to reach out to those folks and connect and and be a bridge because they um, they have very useful things that the Lord has given them to be part of this body and and those around them. So I would just encourage people to go forward and, and just be a bridge, be a, a connector to those folks, because it's important that we all stay connected. Thank you.
there's two people, two, and not two individuals, but two responses I'd like to have you consider today for this. <clears throat> there's a reawakening that God is doing in us as a people right now in this time. If you've been with us here at our Father's house, recently you know that God's calling us to a time of building and rebuilding. He's building new things fresh here. Even if you're not part of our Father's house, it's okay. Because there's a season right now where God is calling his people into deeper, more authentic relationships with him because he's, a, he's doing something in the earth right now. And you're finding a stirring back to I'd say more authentic aspects of who we are called to be as the body of Christ. This past year and a half has been a major wake-up for us in the body of Christ. You may be somebody who doesn't yet know the Lord, or you know the Lord, but you have not found your place. I want to submit to you what we shared here today in the history of Israel when David came to the Levites and says to them, the reason things didn't work out this last time is because you guys weren't standing in your place. Are you hearing me? and he's destined you to do. You might not know where your place is in the body of Christ. I believe in this hour, God's saying, consecrate yourself. Commit yourself to me. Let me show you what I have for you. And there's in that. And he wants to do great things through you. Like we sang this morning, and there's the testimony by Penny, It's the I am who you say I am. Who do we believe? We have to believe him about who he says we are. Also, second point of consideration. I think it's important for all of us to consider What are the thoughts and ideologies and mindsets that I carry around with me that have not been taught to me by the Lord? They're incongruent with hosting his presence. Like David, whose heart was committed to the Lord, who'd been giving the Lord his yes, who is standing there in the blessing and the favor of the Lord, he still found that he needed to repent and align himself with God. We're in a season right now in the church where we must take those things to the Lord and say, Lord, what do I need to surrender to you in my mindsets? What do I need to surrender to you in my ideologies that I'm carrying around? What needs to come into alignment with you? 
incredible things for us as a people, the people of God in this hour, not just here at our Father's house, but the people of God in this hour. And he's calling us to this place where we consecrate ourselves before him, where we recommit to him, where we surrender ourselves to him and say, Lord, if you want to host your presence, then teach us. Teach us your ways. Teach us your ways. Show us where we're off course because we want to be fully aligned with you. We want to hear your voice and we want to be following you. And we know that you have called us to this hour to host your presence so that your glory may be known in the earth. Let's do some communion. Does anybody not have communion elements and needs them? Please raise your hand and we can come and pass them to you. As we're entering into communion right now, I want you to be thinking about those two things. Am I part of the body of Christ? Do I know where I sit in the body of Christ? Do I know what he's called me to? Am I asking him? Is that place of, Lord, if I am who you say I am, who is it you say I am? And also, if you're part of the body of Christ, to reflect on that that notion that Am I in that place of David where I'm trying to host the presence of God and carried on an ox cart? Am I in error and I don't even know it? Have I adopted ideologies that aren't of the Lord? In both of those places... It's a posture of surrender before him. When Jesus Christ was crucified, he made a way for us to be connected with our Father in heaven. Once again, sin separated us from relationship with him. But Jesus, the pure and spotless lamb, went to the cross for us to pay the price that we could not pay to bring us back in not only to have restored relationship and fellowship with God, but to become a member of the body of Christ. When we celebrate the bread and the wine, the the communion, we're celebrating his body broken for us and his blood poured out for us in a new and better covenant than all the covenants that we've been talking about for the past couple weeks. His blood made a way for us. It's the corporate body of Christ that God wants to make his presence manifest through here in the earth. And the reason we have an opportunity to participate in that is because of the sacrifice that Jesus made in himself. Father, we thank you today. We thank you today, Lord, that you've given us a way in. We thank you today, Lord, that we can come to your word and you, Holy Spirit, can highlight for us that even now we can draw closer to you, Lord. Even now 
we can repent and align even closer. Lord, I ask right now that you, Holy Spirit, would do a work in us, that you would recalibrate our hearts and our minds, Lord. You would draw us ever closer to you, Jesus. Lord, that we would surrender, Lord, any thoughts that would try to exalt themselves above you, Lord. You tell us to take those thoughts captive, Lord. We take them captive today, Lord, and surrender them to you. Lord, we ask that you would teach us your ways more and more. We ask, Lord, that you would show us how to host your presence, Lord, in deeper and fuller and more authentic ways, Lord, than we've ever known in the past. We thank you for everything that you have taught us as a people over the decades that you have had us here, Lord. We ask for more, Lord. And we ask, Lord, that you would, you would shepherd our hearts in this hour. We thank you, Jesus. Lord, we thank you in this, celebrating what you did for us, Lord, that we could even ask these things of you, Lord, because of the price you paid. Hallelujah. Take and eat and drink in the name of Jesus. Our ushers are going to come by and retrieve those cups for you. If you heard this word today, and you'd like to pray with somebody, if you heard those prophetic words that came forward and you resonated with those, I would encourage you to come forward for prayer. I'm going to ask our prophetic ministry team to to come up here to my left and be ready to pray with, with people. If you'd like to just spend some time with with the Lord at the altar this morning, I'd invite you to my right here. It's going to be open. And you can just spend some time with the Lord and just seek Him. Father, what is, it, what is it that you want to teach me today from this? But for all of us, I would encourage us to recognize that the Lord has us in a time of refinement where He's rebuilding, where He's calling us to focus on Him. We've been there, but it's an interesting, interesting time for Him to be bringing these things forward to us, I believe. Next Sunday is an Encounter Sunday for us. If you haven't been with us for an Encounter Sunday before, an Encounter Sunday, we're going to come in here. Our focus is going to be worshiping Him. It's going to be seeking His face. It's going to be hanging out in His presence. I encourage you this week to take this word to heart and say, Lord, I'm coming Sunday to help host your presence. What is it in me, Lord, that you want to address with me this week so I can come in on Sunday and offer that back up to you? Afterwards, we're going to be going outside. As Tim said, we're going to be having a family picnic. Bring your food. Parents, don't dress your kids in nice clothes because they're going to be playing. Okay, We want to come and have some family time outside. I'm praying the weather's going to be beautiful. Hopefully it won't be too humid and too hot. But last time we had this, it was just a great time out there. So I encourage you, invite you to come. We want to be growing in our relationships with one another. We want to be taking opportunities to be around one another as safely as possibly that we can. And we're looking forward to that. Would you please stand? Father, I thank you today for the word that you brought forth here, Lord. We thank you, Lord, 
for what you're teaching us in this time, Lord. We thank you, Father, for the opportunity that you're putting before us, Lord, to come and draw closer to you. I ask that you would stir our hearts, Lord, as your people. I ask, Lord, that you would draw us deeper into intimacy and fellowship with you, Lord. I ask, Lord, that you would make even more real to us, Lord, the holiness of who you are and the honor that we have, Lord, of serving you, of being your hands and feet here in the earth, Lord. Teach us, Lord, to be that corporate man, Lord, that carries your presence with us, Lord, as we go. Lord, our hearts are surrendered to you. I ask that you would teach us your ways afresh. In Jesus' mighty name, I bless your people. Amen. Thank you for being here with us. If it's your first time, I invite you to the hospitality room by the front door. I'd love to meet you and get to know you. God bless you, everybody. Have a great week.